All right. Well, here we are, the last class of First and Second Kings. Let us pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you for the books that we've been studying. Thank you for First and Second Kings. Lord, we thank you for the insight, the wisdom, the understanding that you have placed there so that we can make right decisions, that we understand your grace, that we understand your your love for us, but also for your your disdain, your hate for sin and what sin does. Lord, I pray that we catch that. I pray that we catch the 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 leading that you have given us that that if you do things right, good things happen. Life, life is blessed. But Lord, when we sin, life is not blessed. And so Father, I thank you that as we finish this up, as we wrap everything up, Lord, you'll just uh, help us to to uh, apply these things to our lives. And we thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, just a couple things I want to uh, point out. Not much, because it's kind of that same good king, bad king uh, pattern that we have uh, been in. But we said last week that uh, right before we ended, at the end of chapter 21, that Josiah became the king. And uh, Josiah is the one who, uh, many years before, had been prophesied to. This is at the time of King Ahab. Um, he had that uh, a prophet had prophesied that a king named Josiah would be born and would become the king, and that he would restore Israel back to serving God. And so we finally got there. Um, Twenty-one, twenty-two, twenty-one is where where he was born. The end of twenty-one, but we start in tonight. We start in twenty-two. And uh, Josiah, not knowing what the prophecy was, um, became king at the age of eight. So chapter 22, beginning with verse 1, he was eight years old when he became king, and he ruled for 31 years. And he f- followed, and I like the wording here, it says, he followed the Lord, uh, uh, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. So even before he knew his um, who he was and, and how he fit into the, the scheme of things, he began serving God immediately. And it wasn't until his, in the 18th year of his reign, so he was 26 at that time, if he started when he was 8 and he reigned for 18 years, he would have been 26 that he actually began to restore the temple and they started going through the things of the temple and found the book of the law. And in it, as they read the book of the law, he became convicted and began to repent. Uh, Verse 11 says, When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. And then he immediately jumped into action. He said he he, uh, says that he... Uh, sent word to a prophet, inquire of the Lord, verse 13. And uh, so they go to the prophet, the priest goes to the prophet, and the prophet uh, 
um, begins to prophesy and says, this is what you should tell uh, the king, is that because, verse 19, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard that I had spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste, And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. And then you would think, I mean, you know, I'm always hoping for total mercy that, you know, God would say, okay, that's fine. Okay, we won't won't destroy Judah. We won't do this. We won't do that. But Judah had gone too far. Um, And it was the kings. The kings allowed it. You know, we saw that whether it was Solomon... Or or uh, Ahab or whatever the people followed the kings. If the king was good, the people were good because he made right judgments and he told he he, he caused them to to do the things that that uh, uh, caused them to do right. But Solomon was the first one to begin to to make other um, altars and to um, he did that to appease his wives. The wise, his foreign wives. And so, whether it was him or whether it was Ahab or whether it was any of those guys, and then even Josiah, we saw the kings that said, no, you're not going to live this way. We're not going to displease the Lord. And so they would destroy the temples. They would just, you know, they would uh, quit sacrificing to these gods and that gods. But many of them didn't take it all the way to the end. They didn't get rid of all the high places and so on and so forth. Um, Josiah did, and we'll, we'll just kind of mention that as we look at verses twenty or chapters twenty three and twenty four. But um, God doesn't do that. He doesn't say, "Okay, fine, we will." We'll, you know, I, I've re- recanted my decision. He says in verse twenty, "Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestor ancestors, and you will be buried in peace. My eyes, or I'm sorry, your eyes will not see the see all the disaster I'm going to bring." on this place. So God had already decided there was going to be judgment no matter what. And he um, declares it. And so Joshua, or I'm sorry, Josiah begins to renew the covenant and he starts cleaning house. And he takes care of everything. He does, he takes care of every high place. He takes care of every, of every altar. Um, he takes care of all the I mean, I started, if you read through this, and, and we don't have time to read through all of it, but there were, um, uh, let me, verse 7 of 23, he tore down the quarters of the male shrine prostitutes that were in the temple of the Lord. So, I mean, that's how far it had gotten during um, those days was that they had male shrine prostitutes. I mean, only the... The, the foreign gods did that. You, you know, you, when, and during David's time and before, during the prophets, um, before there um, was ever a temple, you'd only hear about that when they talked about the foreign, um, foreign armies, whatever, you know, the foreign people, they would have those sorts of situations. Well, here it is in Jerusalem. I mean, it had, it had become um, extremely vile. But he uh, took care of that. He got took tore down all the Asherah poles. He desecrated all of their their uh, um, altars. He he destroyed everything. He destroyed the the multiple uh, um, 
altars that were made in the temple grounds. There was extra altars set up to other gods. I mean, just everything. I mean, it's just it was extensive. Uh, what had um, what had happened, and goes all the way to verse fifteen of chapter twenty-three, when he they were pulling pulling the bones out of. Uh, out of uh, uh, graveyards, out of the out of the grave sites, to burn on these different altars to desecrate them, and he comes to an altar. He says, "What is that tombstone I see?" And it says, "It marks the tomb of the man of God." Verse seventeen, who came from Judah and pronounced against the altar of Bethel the very things you have done to it. And so he got all the way to there, and he said, "Okay, that's enough. We're not gonna. I mean, we're gonna honor his bones." And then the old prophet who was buried. It was originally the old prophet's tomb. When it, when the young prophet was killed by the lion, the old prophet put him in there, and then he was also buried there. So both of their bones were protected. So he continues. He cleans out everything. He cleans out all, not only all of the um, the uh, uh, altars and all of the other high places throughout Judah, but he also goes into Israel, and he does the same to Samaria. Um, and he tore down in verse 19, he removed all the shrines at the high places that the kings of Israel had built in the towns of Samaria that had aroused. So he got rid of all of the foreign gods. He got rid of everything in all of, of uh, um, Israel, out of all of the different areas, the, the, the high places and so on and so forth. He cleaned out just before the um, the exile. So they celebrate the Passover, and his reign continues on. He reigns for um, what did it say? Twenty six years total. Thirty one total. Thirty one total. So he was so he was forty or thirty nine. Yeah, thirty one years total. Um, that he reigned, so he was 39, and he dies a violent death. <laughs> so, I mean, you, you read this, and here's a guy who who does does everything right. Can you pull that outside door shut? That one. Thank you. Nice timing. Um, he does everything right. He does everything he's supposed to. He does everything right, but he still dies a violent death early. And so you know, I look at that and I go, what's the deal with that? You know what? Shouldn't there be some reward for for being just, for being righteous? What do you think about that? Think about that with John the Baptist too being beheaded at a young age. Exactly. It's like really. I mean, here's here's the guy that I mean, he left inside the his mother's womb with the Holy Spirit. His whole purpose was to announce the coming of the Messiah, and then because politically over here the daughter wanted the king's head or John's head on a platter. Well, I got to do it. I said, I give you my word. Come on, really. Mm-hmm. Now, how does how does that fit in fit in our theology? You know, I mean, I I'm, in my theology, God protects us. In in our theology, my theology, 
Um, God gives long life to those who honor their father and mother. Um, and then you have stuff like this happen. Um, I don't have the answer. You know, it's just one of those, one of those things where, you know, um, where on one side you, here's all these verses that, that talk about the way things are supposed to be. And then you have, for instances, where they're not. What do we do with those? Because I don't want to be dishonest and go, well, you know, and try to explain it away, because there it is. Um, and we can do that with any of our theologies. We can do that with healing. We can do that with prosperity. We can do it with with uh, uh, protection and provision and, and you know all these different things that that we hold near and dear and then we can see examples where it doesn't happen. What happened what about the martyrs? You know, the martyrs who who were killed early. And and the Bible in, in Hebrews, it celebrates them. You know, it celebrates the fact that they they died for their faith. How does that fit? Because I don't want to be all I can think of, you know, as an example is is Pollyanna like. Oh, you know, God will always, you know, God will always do exactly what I expect him to do according to the word of God all the time. Well, the truth is, things don't always work the way you think they should. Why? It's probably the intervention of evil. I mean, when you look at Paul, told the guy, "Don't sail. We're going to get shipwrecked." Paul had heard from God about not sailing, but it's an outside source. An outside source killed Josiah. An outside source killed John the Baptist. I mean, sometimes when you're letting God be God. Evil still going to exist, mm-hmm. or bad things, or that's what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I never thought of that one because it doesn't say that Josiah sought the Lord whether he should go to, go to war with the king of Egypt. Was he supposed to go to war? You know, there's been a lot of times when when a king would go or be uh, have an opportunity for battle go before the Lord and say, Lord, are we supposed to do this? And the Lord said, no, don't do it that way. Or, or do it a different way. Or wait until this happens or whatever. And is it, was it presumption that took them out of the will of God? I don't know. It's an interesting, interesting thought. I don't know. Because it doesn't say that's what happened. You know, many times it does tell you if that's what happened, but I don't know. I would have just liked for first and second kings to be more more 
The king was good and lasted forever. The king was bad and lived short. But God blesses obedience. And that's the example that we get. Mm-hmm. Instead of, hey, I did everything right here. Mm-hmm. But I ended up not so good. Mm-hmm. But who knows, maybe he ended up better. Paul wanted to, you know, be in heaven, but he knew that his job was to bring the message to the Gentiles. Maybe for like Enoch, Elijah, they got the best deal in town. But we look at it through our eyes down here saying, well, no, that's not right. That's unjust. You should have, you know, maybe there's a great feast in heaven. And he's like, you know, yeah, I died that way, but things are pretty good. My obedience paid off. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't get to see that. Yeah, we don't see it till the very end. How that all, how that all fits together. Well, you see, Enoch and Elijah, they get, get the great, you get the great deal. See, I think they still have to go through theirs. They do. Yeah, I believe they do too. But yeah, I think they're the two witnesses. I believe they are too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so it's appointed for every man to die once. Mm-hmm. They get to die. They just got the last few thousand years to <laughs> think about it. Yeah. Pre, pre. Uh, but I wonder. You know, I wonder if they can see how it all plays out before they come down. I mean, is that? I mean, that's going to be wild. That's going to be just absolutely wild. You know, what we're talking about the the two witnesses in Revelation. There's a there's verses in the in in Revelation that talk about the two witnesses who come down from heaven and. Does it name them? Does it say any names? No, it doesn't name them. They, you know, they get to prophesy, and anybody who comes against them, they just breathe fire at them. You know, it's good. And, you know, wouldn't that be cool sometimes? <laughs> exactly. And a lot of people believe that it's Elijah and Moses. A lot of people say that, you know, that they think it's Elijah and Moses, but Moses... Well, no, are, that's because they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. Right, and I think that's that might be where they get that idea. But Moses has already died. And at the end, the two die and then lay in the street for three days. Three days and then rise again and then go right up into, you know, or caught up into heaven right away. And on national TV or international TV, I mean, it's going to be live. They cause such a to-do that when they die, they celebrate and give presents to each other and they mm-hmm. exchange gifts. And they're like, oh, glad those guys are gone. You know, and I'm I'm starting to see that our world is getting to the point where that would happen. I am too. You know, I I would have never thought that, you know, over the years that that the world would get so evil that it would celebrate the murder of two people that would just take them off. We had had somebody email us at the church today that we needed to change our church sign to reflect something more happy for the Christmas season. Well, we just haven't got out there to change it from the whole election thing where we had, you know, marriage between a man and a woman. So they're like, you know, there's, it needs to be something more happy for the holiday season. It's like, still truth. <laughs> so I'm going to change it to Jesus' parents were a man and a woman, and that'll ought to make them. It's more, you know, christmas like. <laughs> that's going to tilt some. <laughs> that'll tweak them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, how how evil can people get and I'm starting to see that thing get pretty evil I mean it's getting you know it's uh, yikes 
think. No. Nope. I was just gonna say I think that we just have to choose to trust God and that He has a plan. You know, like when you were saying it's like this isn't our home, our home is in heaven. And when you look at it that way, it's like the people who are murdered, the people who die, well they get a crown for that. And like I don't know exactly what that is like up there, but that's that's what it's all about. And just have to believe that God's still got the day. You know, otherwise if you don't do that, we have no hope. I mean, don't, we just don't get to understand everything. You know, it says that we can't see clearly. possibly lean on your own understanding, especially after what happened this last week. I mean, I can't wrap my head around it. God ways are so much, I mean, no words can describe how we are in my ways that, you know, that he does. And so like for Josiah here, it's just like, I can take this at face value and let God be God, or I can start interjecting all the reasons why this was injustice as far as mm -hmm. the way I see it. But God is, uh, you know, He's awesome, and I, I gotta believe that Romans eight twenty eight is true that all things work together for good for those who love the Lord and call according to His purpose. And becoming a king at eight years old, I mean, how many eight year olds do you know that could actually? I've known some that thought they were king, but well, <laughs> but you know, he didn't really start something going on until he's twenty six, where he got a little bit, you know. Yeah. True. Education behind and stuff. Mm -hmm. And in that time, I mean, you know, you look at all that's going on socially, the decline, and they talk about, uh, you know, 40% of the kids that are born today are born to unwed mothers. And so we're degenerating as a society. It's not that the guns are the problem. It's, it's, it's the way we act socially mm -hmm. and what we're exposed to. And for a Josiah to finally be this one who's like, you know, we're going to take care of all these things. And I mean, it's pretty attractive to see that he had the willingness to do what was right. And I think that's what God's looking for. He wants our hearts to be willing to do what's right, even when things look pretty bleak. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that there are times in, in the world where we're having where people have more opportunity than others. You know, there was whole times of peace in these kings' lives. You know, between Solomon and some of the other kings, there were whole decades of peace and prosperity and blessing. But then, then things got real again. You know, I mean, and, and it wasn't that they weren't real before, but they just there are cycles. And, and we know according to scriptures that times times are going at you know in the in the end they're going to get worse and worse and worse and so here we are you know what do we do with that is it fair that our children had to be born in this time you know is it fair that that our grandchildren you know I'm I'm looking at the world and going okay I think we're you know we're still a ways away from the end and you know my kids will probably grow up and at least 
have a chance to know better, you know, and, and, and not have to go through as children. But then all of a sudden I started thinking of my grandchildren. You know, now, now there's a whole other level of, and what do we do with that? You know, what do we, you know, but there's, there's always been times of, of opportunity to despair. Now look at our parents, my parents, where my mother was born, my dad was born, they were both born in the 20s. They went through the Depression and World War II and the Korean conflict. You know, so there's different, you know, every generation it seems like has its one large um, mountain to climb. Whether it's socially or financially or even just as a people. You know, it's it, you know, like the the depression. You know, there's the people that didn't make it out of the depression. They didn't make it one way or the other. But there's other people who thrive through it. You know, and that's you know, out through the depression came some some amazing revivals. You know, God moved greatly among people. And uh, you know, we're it's amazing what we've been able to do here at you know in the church, in this church. Even in the midst of this fiscal calamity, you know, um, the, the 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 outreach that we've been able to be a part of, the, the the lives we've been able to touch, and it seems like it almost seems like the harder it gets economically worldwide, the more God has us doing, and it's just, and then the more we do it, the more blessed people are. It's just it's backwards of what <laughs> of what you would normally. Think would happen in the natural, but but totally in line with what the gospel says. It's like tithing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, where are we going to come up with our tithe? And then it, you know, look at Malachi. You're like, okay, I'm going to test you, God, or try it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's it's always worked out good mm-hmm. when it doesn't make any sense to me at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, are we going to pay our power bill? So it doesn't make any sense. It's up inside out. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, even even the exile. Okay, so now we're they're going into exile. They're going to Babylon for 70 years. But the exile was the only thing that ever kept them. Ever since the exile, they've been monotheistic. The Jews, as a as a whole, as a as a Society, they have not gone after foreign gods as a whole. I mean, you know, obviously individuals are going to be individuals and, you know, whatever their influences are. But when they came back from the exile, and, and even through Jesus' time, it wasn't about sacrificing to idols, and there was plenty of opportunity to sacrifice to idols. They were monotheistic. They were, you know, now they weren't always correct in their monotheism. You know, they, they weren't always, they weren't always, uh, uh, theologically correct, because Jesus had to come back and correct it. But um, they didn't do that anymore. So when you look at, you know, persecution, um, I, I have a friend that I've mentioned this before in different situations. He's saying the church in America needs a little, a little persecution, because persecution uh, refines people and. 
you know you see it in, in the uh, in the countries where there is persecution, you get rid of the fluff real quick, you know, and it gets right down to the brass tacks of, you know, what is true, what is just, what am I, you know, how do I do what God told me to do, and you don't play around, you don't play the games. So. So what do we learn from first and second kings? We'll go around the room, put everybody on the spot. Starting with nobody, no eye contact whatsoever. <laughs> you know, not everybody has to, but if, if you have something. What did you learn from first and second kings? God always, always leaves a remnant. I mean, it didn't make any difference. I mean, Manasseh was the absolute worst king. I mean, he sacrificed his own children. Mm-hmm. And and yet, Josiah came out of that. There's always that remnant. God is always going to make a way out for his chosen. Amen. Just the fact that because they achieved being monotheistic, God's purpose was fulfilled for everything that they had to go through and it kind of equates my walk with the Lord also is that you know I was blind now I have vision I I see more of what God's wanting me to do with my life and I think these people now even though you know they sacrificed crippled animals and they did things I mean it's got him on track now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think just like in my life, he's he's got me on track. Do I make 100% right decisions? No, but I do the best I can with what I got. I'm aware of it. I think the Jews here are aware that there's one true God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking. Like his power, you know, like when they called out fire, it's like he is the one true God. He has all power. If he's gonna show. Mm-hmm. I love that. It makes me feel safe, secure. Yeah, that, that he has the power to do, to fulfill his plan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, whether that's through, you know, the the seemingly mundane, you know, people just being obedient, or or the fire coming down from heaven, which is the big, mm-hmm. cool stuff. <laughs> you know? But it's but he has the ability to do what he wants to do and, and his his plan isn't going to be thwarted right you know his you know even like the, the remnant like you're talking about the remnant you know there will always be somebody who says you know I'll do it God I'm in and it may not be easy for them they may have to hide in caves like uh, Elisha Elisha's uh, was a 7,000 who hadn't bowed their knee to the bales yeah, whatever, I can't remember what the number was. You know, there there will be a remnant who lives it out. And it's being, making sure you're a part of that remnant is the... Yeah, and coming up will be the 12,000 from the each 12th tribe. It's a pretty big remnant. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, his, his plan will inevitably always come to fruition. Just 
we saw that with the flood. We saw you know everything that has ever happened even after it started in the garden. That plan of redemption. You know, this is like how awesome is that? And it's tragic that even in our own lives that we have to touch the stove to see how hot it is each time and get burned every single time. When are we gonna, you know, surrender? When are we gonna practice obedience? When are we gonna, you know, trust? Yeah. Not only when it's just convenient, but all the time. And he wants to burn that out of us. He wants to burn that. Let's see what I can get away with. Right. I wish there could be a, a, a surgical procedure that just deals with some of that stuff. Yeah, but I think the blessing that it happens so little by slowly sometimes, that when you look in the rear of your mirror, you say, hey, you know what? I used to do that, now I don't. Thank you, God, for doing that inside job on me. That I, I wasn't consciously aware that I stopped saying Effenheimer. That would offend me if I hear it. Mm-hmm. That's how the change occurred. It happened all at once. Bazam! You're a saint. What? you got to go through those hard winters to grow strong roots. Mm-hmm. Well, I the thing about interesting um, Kings, first to second Kings, about King David, how God um, tried to um, every king after King David, he was he always preferred to like King David or like his father, whether did good or bad, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I go back to uh, King David, mm-hmm. how he was a man of his heart. And uh, I really thought that was kind of cool. And how we should be like David, you know, being uh, mindful of the thing of God. What he expected of us to do, mm-hmm. and I think it says somewhere to walk humbly before God, and um, some other stuff that goes with it, but not to be high-minded. But just uh, that God has His own way with you. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot of things that go through in our life that we kind of hang on to it, but. And that's why God just kind of chisel away at you, you know, bit by bit, you know. And pretty you know, like you said, you look in mirror, 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 it's like, oh, that's what he's doing to my life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and King David wasn't perfect. Right. It kind of makes me feel, you know, um, I, I don't have to be perfect in every way, but uh, just the God be God, and, Sure, I'm gonna stumble through this life. Maybe to the day I die. But it's only by His grace that I, you know, that you know, we are saved by grace, not by our works. Mm-hmm. I, I I have to remind myself that every once in a while. You know, because I get really discouraged and I you know wish I was different than 
than I am. Yeah. I go, that's right, it's by grace, though. You know, <laughs> it's the only way I'm getting in, <laughs> you know. <sighs> it makes me feel good that David wasn't perfect and Peter wasn't perfect and all these guys weren't perfect. They had. Apostle Paul wasn't perfect. Yeah. They all gave me such great hope that I had a chance at this thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hallelujah. And Philip. It's like, really? Or Thomas. 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 It's like, yeah. I'm not going to believe it until I touch you. I think Judas, if he had repented, Jesus would have had him back. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, it, it was a matter of, I mean, it was because he wouldn't, it was, it was his pride that wouldn't allow him you know, and he killed himself, which is prideful, you know, full of his selfishness. Because he was in despair, but it was also because, you know, he couldn't, he could not accept the forgiveness. He couldn't, you know, because... Judas the Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. Who betrayed Jesus, yeah. Is that what it was? All I've got no, out was that he went out to the desert and his bowels blew up. And then well, he hung himself, himself, or he himself, impaled yeah. himself, or they're right. different. Do you think it's just out of shame and guilt? Well, I think, he, yeah, because it says that, you know, that he, after he realized what he had done, he tried to get the money back. Right, yeah. And they were like, you know, no. Right. You know, that's blood money, which is an irony in itself, but... Right. And then he ran out and hung himself. Well, if he had repented, he had been forgiven, but... But you think that he was a captive in Hades and he had the opportunity to be set free? Interesting. I don't know. I would. I don't know. Uh, maybe. Could have happened. We, yeah, they, we, they, we all got, they all got second chances. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> I mean, he was a short termer then. You know, he'd be down here just a couple of days. Mm-hmm. For me, I guess it's just how easily they slip into sin. You know, so these kings, when they when they sinned, I mean, they were overcome by their by their position, basically, which was power, greed, and lust that they had at their disposal. And I, to me, that's what uh, caused them to sin, and they did it. And they were slipped into it so easily. So kind of for me. It's not easily sin can uh, catch us and, and trap us. Mm-hmm. So, and also God's grace. Mm-hmm. So, that's what stood out for me. Can I get off topic for one second? Absolutely. Been thinking about this because I woke up with this in my head, and it's Eve is in the garden. Her instructions were: do not eat from the tree of knowledge. Do eat from the tree of life. She's being tempted by the serpent. Now, between the time that she heard, "If only eat from this, you'll be as smart as God," whatnot. Mm-hmm. How is it that before sin entered the world by eating that fruit, 
that she could make a conscious decision to reach out and take it and say, hey, you know, I'll eat this, I'll know just as much as God. If there wasn't deceit or good, bad, or evil, there was just kind of paradise. Well, the question itself is not evil, though. The, you know, if only, I mean, was it the act of disobedience by entertaining the thought just for that brief second, you would think, you know, I'm not capable of choosing wrongly. Although maybe she didn't think she was choosing wrong. I don't know. I just was like, you know, when sin in her grace is because she the from the, the tree of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the sin entered because of what they did, because of their action. Their action. But the intent of their heart was there before the action. Right. So if they had not done the action, would sin have entered the world? Is that what you're saying? Well, I don't know. It just seems weird to me that there was, before the action took place, there was a there was a conscious thought of this is going to be disobedient because the result is going to be because of my action. It's kind of like, you know, when we pray, lead us not into temptation. I mean, we might have thoughts, and then we can either choose to carry that out or not. Mm-hmm. But there was, you know, and I was just thinking, how would she know? It's kind of like there was a dark side before there was a dark side, and then mm-hmm. flash of a second there. I don't know. It's kind of more of a philosophical question, maybe than the theological one. But. Right. And my other question is this: because we're talking about Adam and Eve. Now we know God came incarnate as a baby, mm-hmm. Jesus. On the sixth day, when God created man, how old was Adam when he was created? He was fully grown. What does that mean? Fully grown? It was be fully grown, twelve year old. No, it was an adult. Does it say? The sages talked about uh, uh, actually Cain and uh, Cain and Abel being born in that very same day that Adam and Eve were created. So really, they do that. Huh? Yeah. I'm bringing my uh, my book with commentary on it. They talk about because it says uh, two two lie down, four got up. Something like that, the word life. So they say they were adults when they were created. And why was the woman the catalyst? Why didn't the serpent tempt Adam, the man? That's in the New Testament. Doesn't it say that it's because she's the weaker vessel? I don't know. Maybe it is. So says that, that, the, that we need to, men treat your wives. Um, with gentleness and respect because we know that they're the weaker vessel because Eve was the one who sinned first. I think, where, where is that? It's in Ephesians, isn't it? It's the Eve that was deceived and mm-hmm. Adam sinned.
First Peter 3, 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considered as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. And there was something else that I talked about that it was... Oh, don't do that to me. Sorry. And I'm pretty sure, I mean, looking at, you know, Adam's behavior, he probably would have, the result might have been the same, or probably would have been the same. God gave Moses. Adam, why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. Well, who told you you were naked? Oh, it's that woman. She may be. Yeah. I mean, come on. Mm -hmm. So, back to the first one. Okay. Sin was already there, because Satan understood sin. But humanity hadn't sinned. So the angels had sinned. But humanity hadn't sinned. And so, if Eve and Adam had at that point said, no, we're not going to do it. Would every person then born would have had to go had the same opportunity to sin or not sin? You see what I mean? Yeah. And so sin only comes with the law. But there was a law. The law was don't touch it, don't eat of the tree. Right. And so it it was the only law. They could do anything else they wanted. Everything else was absolutely allowable. No problem. You could do anything you wanted. Just don't eat of that tree. And here's where it is, I think, more philosophical than it is theological. Is are humans susceptible to sin? Even created humans in the in the in the likeness of God. Yeah. Let's see. In the beginning, there was this contingency, and later on, for us, Jesus says, "My Father has mansions with many rooms in it. I go prepare a place for you." Unless, you know, we, we don't get an unless there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like. On the sixth day, man's created after paradise has been created. We've got the water, the firmament, we've got the plants, we got the animals. It's a it's paradise. And then here comes the serpent who will be stricken in the head and his bruised heel. That was after sin entered the world. And I mean, I don't know. It's yeah, for me it's just neither here nor there it's more philosophical for me mm-hmm. it's like does it add an apple belly button I mean who cares really you know but mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to know that you know when Jesus was teaching the disciples to pray how should we pray he said pray like this you know lead me not into temptation mm-hmm. I mean and why would God why does the Holy Spirit lead us into temptation 
I don't think the Holy Spirit leads us into it. Well, it says, lead us not into temptation. Oh, yeah. I think it, for me, I think it's like, don't be led into temptation. But Because who led Jesus into the into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil? Spirit. It says the Holy Spirit yeah, led him into the into the desert to be tempted. I don't get that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, and there's two two cases of it. There's two specific cases. Yeah, I guess I never saw it like that before. But it isn't that he tempts us. He never tempts us. But I believe it's kind of like when when the Israelites were led into out of Egypt and they were led up to the Red Sea, they could have gone another way. They could have gone a different way. They, did, they didn't have to cross the Red Sea to get where they were going. But, but God led them to the Red Sea and then the Egyptians followed them there and trapped them. They were trapped in the, at the entrance. And then God miraculously destroyed the enemy behind them. I think it's the same thing. I think that's what God wants to do, is he wants to destroy the sin in our life. So he'll lead us to a place where we're, we're put into a position where we have to trust him. You know, and I know with the things in my life, like the, the story I told a few weeks ago about you know, the, the kid, the guy that I absolutely hated. Right. I couldn't get rid of that sin myself. But I did have to come to a place where I at least acknowledge God I can't do this and I want you to do it in me and it wasn't that the next day I didn't stop hating him because I did I still hated him and a week later I still hated him and a month later I still hated him and whatever the the time period was I didn't try to stop hating him I one day like you said just a while ago I realized I didn't hate him anymore and then a while later, I realized I didn't not only didn't hate him, but I cared for him. I loved him. Right. Which is that's an even bigger miracle to me is is that I actually cared that you know cared for his life, cared for his salvation, so on and so forth. So the other things in my life, the things you know those those sins that easily beset us, is it because we don't actually truly give that to God and say, you know what, God, I, I can't do this. We try to figure out some mechanism to deal with those sins when there's really no mechanism it's really a it's a real it's really a a total you know what god i can't do this i just can't and you know why didn't adam and eve say you know I'm going to think on this. Let me talk to God when he comes down and ask him what he thinks about, about this. They, you know, she immediately went, oh, yeah. I don't have to wait for God. I don't have to, I can, I can make this decision on my own because I'm like God. You know, I was made in the image of God. I'm, I'm, I'm like God. And, and he must be, and then there must have been a level of doubt in there. It must have been a level of fear, my, you know, of, of, you know, hmm. You know, maybe he is holding something back from me. Now, why would God hold something back from me? No. How long?
along uh, kind of that lines where it says that no one's truly ever seen God. But in Genesis, it talks about God was walking in the garden on that cool day. And he called for Adam. Don't you think Adam saw it? Sure he did. Also, uh, Moses and the 70 elders and the brother. Aaron? Aaron. Says that they ate lunch and sat, and they said they saw him. They saw him right there. So I don't know. You know, I've wondered about that too. Unless they only saw part of him or his backside, or you know, I don't know. I thought it said in the scripture they saw the backside of him whisk past, and that was yeah. as much as anybody ever saw. Moses, yeah, when he when he put Moses in the cleft of the rock and yeah. did all of that. But the but the elders and and Moses and and Aaron all were on the mountain once and had lunch and spent time with God. And they had to have seen him. I mean, you would think they would have had to have seen him, but I don't know. Or maybe it was just his glory, or I, you know, it doesn't. Yeah. So interesting. Yeah, because when you said you know he was like. Well, made in his image. Well, how did she know she was made? In his image? I mean, right? Really? Uh, they had no counsel other than God Himself I mean, when He was there. That's why I think it's kind of good now for, like, even if I think I know all the answers, which I don't, is to consult with somebody that probably does. Mm-hmm. You know, like they didn't have one of the first two people in the world. It's like, what do you think? Anything else about First King or Second Kings? So we'll wrap it up tonight. It's not the most blockbuster of the two books of all the books in the Bible, but it's even what's even worse than First and Second King? Chronicles. Chronicles is coming up the next time around, which will probably be next fall, and uh, it's just First and Second Kings rehashed with a lot more detail, a lot more. Uh, people details. We'll have to figure out how to make that more fun. That's going to be... Maybe what we'll do is have, have each person a part of the class act out. <laughs> you can have a screen up there that has some pictures and that you know, visual. Yeah. So there won't be another Bible study until next year? No, there will be. But I just... Just talking about Old Testament. Oh. In, in January, we're going to do uh, Galatians and Ephesians. Okay. Started in January. Oh, now we won't start until do, do, do. we will not start until January twenty third. So nothing next week. We're, we take five weeks off. Okay. Nothing the 26th, second. Oop, what are we doing here? Second, ninth, or 16th. But the Wednesday Four will weeks. be Galatians and Sunday will be Ephesians? Is that how it's going to work? No, Wednesdays will be Galatians and Ephesians, both. Oh, Wednesdays will be. Yeah, Wednesdays. We'll, we'll go through Galatians first, and then we'll go through Ephesians. 
Schools Youth Group have a break until January? We need to find that out. I need to talk to them tonight and we'll advertise it. Okay. Um, they don't have anything next Tuesday or the first week of January, but they do have things planned after that. Okay. Wednesday nights. Yep. Yep. They just don't have anything. They don't have anything the 26th or the 2nd. I don't believe the 2nd they have anything planned. But we'll ask them tonight. Let's, before, you know, as we're picking the kids up, we'll, we'll talk to them and ask them. All right. Any other theological questions we can batter on? I was just thinking too of the King's Ends where they're taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar. Mm -hmm. And if that had never had never had happened, we wouldn't have had um, any um, of the prophecies of Daniel, which are the foretelling of Revelation. Mm -hmm. They're they're of a piece. Mm -hmm. Like Daniel's is the first, Daniel's is the vision of it, and Revelation is the fulfillment of it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, God did make something good come out of this. You know, even in captivity. Yes. He had his remnant there, and and from because of the writings of Daniel, we have some. Um, something we can actually study and find out uh, what actually kind of prepare you, if you will, for what's coming in, in, you know, before Christ comes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, and even the prophets that prophesied before, during, and after the, mm -hmm. the exile, you know, right. Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and, and all the prophecies right. that, that those guys gave mm -hmm. that uh, talked about Christ talked about Christ talked about the future yeah we wouldn't have you know there, there may not have been a platform for that mm-hmm mm -hmm. yeah because Chronicles that does pretty much yeah it's talking about bringing the ark back and David beating the Philistines and Kind of a rehash of First and Second Kings. Solomon. Like the first dozen chapters are families, family of Benjamin, family of Ephraim, family yep. of family of family. We'll probably skip right <laughs> over them. Yeah, because it it ends Second Chronicles ends with Jehoiakim and Jehoiachin and. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fall of Jerusalem. Yeah. So it's it is a mirror. Are we done at seven thirty or eight? Eight. Oh, so we got time for more questions. Oh yeah. <laughs> this other name popped in my head this morning because, and I just haven't been back. Genesis or that far back for a long time, but can you tell me about the order of Melchizedek? Melchizedek? Yeah. 
talked about two places. One is in in uh, Genesis. And in Hebrews. In Hebrews it talks about that Christ is the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Okay. And what is believed is that I think it's Hebrews. Yeah, Hebrews 5, 5. Yep, Jesus the great high priest. This is uh, in verse 5, 5, yep. Um, You are my son, today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So, for me, a priest in the order of, of Melchizedek isn't like an official order of you know like Jesuits and yada 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 it just means that Melchizedek was a um, was a priest of God because they say that you know that when Abraham met him they described him as a priest of God he could atone for sins like like the priests in the New Testament yeah or not so much I don't know I don't know. Mainly because there was no law given. Okay. They were still living with no law. That makes sense. And so, how how were people? I mean, that really goes back to how were people um, judged? How were they judged before the law was given? Was it the just the intent of their heart? Was it you know? Was it their belief in God? You know, was their belief at whatever level? You know, like Abraham believed God, and it was credited accredited to him as righteousness. Um, different people believed God; different people didn't. Melchizedek, the idea of Melchizedek was he was a priest of God Most High, which means he he was a priest of God. He he worshipped God day and night. He you know he, he sought after God, and he represented God wherever he was at. He was like so. He was like one of the prophets, but the prophets were all post-law. But do you still think they had a moral compass? Because did, did he have a moral compass? Well, let's say even when Cain killed Abel, yes, and then Cain had to get sent off to the land of Nod or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Now it seems like killing was all right, but murder was not. Right. And so somewhere they're either following their like you said, their, their conscience, their mm-hmm. heart, mm-hmm. their moral compass. And then all of a sudden it seems like, well, now we have a priest. Mm-hmm. Why do we have him? Mm-hmm. Right. Or why is he designated as a priest? Mm-hmm. I've always felt it was because he had he had singled himself out for God. He had, he was, you know, he was, you know, uh, he chose. I don't know that he was ever. I, I, you know, obviously we don't know. There's no back history about it, right? So we don't know. Was he appointed by God? Was he, you know, it, it talks about. Um, is it in? 
is it further down in five where it says that he had no father or mother? It's in seven. In uh, Hebrew seven. Yeah. Why don't you read that? Loud and with conviction. <laughs> For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated, King of Righteousness, and then also King of Salem, meaning King of Peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remaining a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. And indeed those who are the sons of God who receive the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law that is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. Can we keep reading? Well, you could read for quite a while. I know. So, no. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> um, so, we don't know a lot about him. You know, obviously we don't, we don't, that, that, that and the, the small story in Genesis is all we know about it. You know, did he really have no father or mother? Right. And that's kind of bizarre. And, you know, I always got the sense that he was this prototype of the Messiah to come. Kind mm-hmm. of, you know, he was the example or... You know that that's it's going to be one of those things that when we get to heaven and we see the real, you know, I'm going, dude, what was that all about? I want right. to I want to see the Mikel, Melchizedek real, right, right, right. <laughs> you know, because we don't know, and anything anything we do say is going to be is going to be uh, conjecture, sure, and anecdotal because we don't know, we purely don't know. You know, but I think you're right. I think he, you know, it, it's definitely a representation. Of, it's a type and shadow of the Messiah to come. But how did he become that? How did he? How did he qualify for it? Um, right. Why? Who was he really? You know, bottom line, where did he come from? It says he has no mother or father, but is that just a? Is that just a? Uh, you know, the the lore. That surrounded him. I, I we don't know. That could be, and maybe there was no census or anything to verify that you know he has a mom or dad, but he probably did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just think it's kind of strange. I mean, there's some strange stuff that you read, and mm-hmm. it's like, huh? And and I ask you, so mm-hmm. some kind of logical explanation. But yeah, I mean, it's you know he must have had some authority though. He must have had lots of authority because it says that Abraham paid Levi's tithe. To, because Levi doesn't have to pay the tithe, but Abraham paid Levi, Levi's tithe to Melchizedek. Right. And who is he that he should be able to receive the tithe? That's, I mean, where did that authority come from? Right. Um, and what tribe or all the priests come from? Or were they all Levi's? Levi's. Yeah. Levi, Levi's priests. Mm-hmm. And they've always been priests. Mm-hmm. So it makes sense that Melchizedek was a Levite. He was the prototype of it, or he yeah, was the yeah. he was the he was the priest. You I, know. Even, I even read a commentary that that Melchizedek was possibly the pre pre incarnate Christ. 
I mean, you know, that that's another conjecture. Yeah, I've heard that. You know, and, and okay, so so if that's true, did it happen? Did anything ever like that ever happen anywhere else? And it did, mm-hmm. and it happened around Jesus's. I'm sorry, not Jesus. Uh, Abraham's life. You know, Jesus came down. And I think Jesus was the one who told Abraham about Isaac, Isaac, about Sodom and Gomorrah, about all of that. You know, he's the one that bargained with. It says, because one part of it says that an angel or angels came. But then it says the Lord. You know, in that that discussion, it calls that messenger. Because an angel only means messenger. It doesn't mean winged person who, you know, winged spirit that does this and that. Angel, only, you know, in the Old Testament, only means a messenger. A messenger was sent to uh, Abraham. But he calls him the Lord. I believe it was Jesus. I believe that it was it was Jesus talking to him and giving him this revelation that he was going to have a child and that it was going to happen within one year. Name him Isaac, yada, yada, yada. And then, oh, by the way, I'm going to go destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and so on and so forth. So, and there's there's also um, we just and I just thought of it just because we just got done with the Daniel mm-hmm. right in in Daniel's prophecy of the end times there's a couple of places where it mentions the man hovering over the waters and it's not the angels because he he definitely knows what they who they are Daniel mm-hmm. because he had seen them before Michael mm-hmm. and Gabriel or mm-hmm. Michael no he talked to Gabriel and he talked about the archangel Michael. So, and, but this was a totally separate being that mm-hmm. was taught to Daniel, but it was hovering. It was what it was was hovering over the water. So that, you know, that could be another place where we could, you know, yep. we could extrapolate if we wanted to. That that could have been the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. Right. Mm-hmm. So exactly. There is evidence. And so was Melchizedek Jesus? Was it actually Jesus who who met Abraham and Abraham gave him a tenth? I don't know. Yeah. And then so you you kind of see this. You know, it is definitely one of those things where you can't build a theology around it at all. It's it's all anecdotal, it's all, you know, conjecture, it's all, you know, I think, you think, we think. Right. So but it is cool. It is. It, it's like, you know, all these kind of cool thoughts. I mean, Spend so much time reading it, and, and these things make you ponder, mm-hmm. which is kind of cool because mm-hmm. it gets your head in it. But mm-hmm. but it doesn't change my faith or the course of history. It's just like huh. it it doesn't. But it you know it certainly it certainly makes you go hmm that Hebrews you know that the writer of Hebrews spends most of a chapter seven and part of five. Well, actually. Well, f- part of five, most of seven, talking about this guy who we know nothing about. Right. You know, it's kind of like in the book of Jude, where something is mentioned that just every... I read over this so many times, it just kind of read over and went, I don't know what that means, and so I just kept reading it. But it talks about... Find it real quick here. 
verse 9. Jude, verse 9. But even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. Okay, so here is scripture quoting something. Jude is quoting something. We don't know what he... If we... If we read that and we don't know what he's quoting, we don't know. It just sounds like he. Oh, how do you how do you know that? This doesn't say that anywhere back here. You know, nowhere here does it say anything about Mo, uh, Satan arguing with with Michael about Moses's body. Sorry, it just doesn't. Where it does mention it is in the book of. Enoch. There is a book called the Book of Enoch. Is that the Dead Sea Scrolls? No, it doesn't exist anymore. But there are there are people who have written stuff that, and they say it's from the Book of Enoch. There are no original, or at least archaic transcripts of the Book of Enoch. But different ancient writers would either quote the book of Enoch or they would allude to the book of Enoch. So there was a book called the book of Enoch. The Bible quotes it. That came out of, that's from another, from other archaic books, non-biblical books, non-canonized biblical books, quote the book of Enoch. Now, if you went on the internet and you Google the book of Enoch, there's a whole bunch of people that have written what they say is the Book of Enoch, or at least have translations of it. Yeah. Who knows? Right. But in it, it taught this this set of verses is in there. But there's another one. It's like weird. Yeah. You know why? Why is that in there? Number one. Number two. Where does it come from? How do we? You know, that's the only time we ever see this. Um. What What is so important about this? this book of Jude. Now, obviously, there's the passage in there about that, you know, praying in the Spirit, and, you know, there's there's that part that we pull out of it, you know, for New Testament life. But, you know, and, and it's true, what he says here is that, you know, that even Michael didn't slander the devil. He never, he never called him names. He never, you know, he never cursed him. He, he, just, he just said, no, you're not getting the body, apparently, according to this. But it's just another one of those weird stories that's that you know weird parts of the Bible where you go, hmm, doesn't doesn't change the theology, it doesn't change the grand scope of things, but there it is. What do you do with it? Yeah, because those names kind of represent different you know thoughts that I have in my head about other scriptures. If he is in direct confrontation with the enemy, the devil, Michael. And there's times when there was a time that he was sent and it took him like 21 days That's to battle. That's in Daniel. That's mm-hmm. in Daniel. Yeah, it took him 21 days to battle through. Yeah. I mean... Why did it take 21 days? Yeah, and why he's face-to-face with the, the devil about Moses' body, which, you know, it's like, well, greater as he was in us than he was in the world. Does that exclude angels? You know? <laughs> Right, if he's an archangel, he's the mightiest of mighty. He's the messenger. 
That's how it was, but God says you're not supposed to do that. So it was okay back then. No, it's not okay now. No, it. There are there are times when okay, murder is wrong. Murder is sin. And so even these kings that murdered these. Thirty thousand men in the field. No, because because there is a difference between murder and killing, or murder and war, or murder and if a police officer comes on a situation where a individual is going to murder is going to kill somebody is going to murder somebody and they shoot the the attacker to save the life of the they're supposed to injure him first. Mm. It hit their knee with the gun to injure them and not kill them. Not necessarily. No, I, you know, the, to me that is justified. Um, if if I personally, let's let's give the, let's give an extreme example. You know, we've, there's been a lot of uh, a lot. There's been a number of of attacks in churches with gunmen. If someone came into our sanctuary on Sunday morning and was threatening the people in our church, um, if someone were to attack that person and kill them, to me that's justified because they're protecting the lives of innocent people. War is taken to a higher degree of that because a war a war starts and, and it's usually by an aggressor. Whether it was Germany and in, in Europe in the forties, or if it was, but if, now what about like the Peace Corps? You know, I mean, you have a Peace Corps that don't believe in. Don't the Peace not believe in. The Peace Corps is different. It's, they're not an army. Mm-hmm. The Peace Corps is a, just a group of people who feel that if you do good things, you know, it, it's 
Yeah, and they're a good bunch of people. I, you know, I think Peace Corps is awesome. It's it's great. I don't know too much about them, but I was just kind of pondering on that, and I thought, well, how's that way out? <laughs> way out? Because once you ultimately sin, you know, you can always be saved again. But once you sin, you know you sin. So it's like to me. And I think that's the difference between the killing and the murdering. I mean, as a result of Adam's first sin. I mean, he tried to make an apron for himself or whatever it says, but God clothed him with an animal skin. In order to get that animal skin, the animal had to die, right? That was a killing. Later on, when Cain took Abel's life, I mean, Cain might have justified it, but that, to me, was a murder. It was unjustified. And today, in the criminal justice system, you'll hear... That's how I think we get away from that, making it okay. Well, there's, even for murder, there's five different levels of murder. Yeah. You know, he was murdered in the first degree. It's severe, you could get the death penalty. By the time you get down here, where it's fifth degree, or it's manslaughter, the guy's life still got taken. We'll have to see how the case turns out here in Little Falls or wherever it is with a guy who shot the two teenage kids. I mean, they they broke in, they violated, you know, there was a violation. I mean, it's probably a little bit tough, but I mean, we have a law. That's what you think of. Yeah, that's what I think about. It's like, it's just pondering on my mind. It's like, we keep pulling away from just, you're not supposed to do that, right? I mean, you don't see nuns and priests going out doing that, right? Because in the Bible, they never did that. The nuns and the priests. The, the priests killed people. They did? I'm sure they did. The, 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 uh, the prophets killed people. Mm-hmm. You know, they would, if, if, there was, if there was evil going on, then, then they would kill the people that were doing the evil. That happened all the time. Um, in, in the, uh, so, so death should have never happened. You know, when that's, we go back to the Adam and Eve thing. Death entered the world with sin, but there is punishment for sin, and the government has the right. And you know, the Bible says that the government, that the that the the agent of the government has a sword for a reason, and the reason they have a sword is that is to is to make sure that the laws are followed. My, it's just. No, I understand that, but it's just I'm very st- <laughs> stubborn, so I have my way of thinking. Mm-hmm. I just think, well, murder is murder, whether it's army, whatever. It's done and over with. Can't get them back, right? So then I'm having a conversation with my parents. My dad's had to study Catholicism before he married my mom, so I always ask my dad. And this whole army get up and killing and things like that, and I asked my dad, I said, well, and then my mom comes, she intervenes too on the conversa- conversation. And my question was today, on your property, if you were being, you know, if, if somebody came in with a gun, what is your self defense? Oh, well, you can grab your gun and shoot back. So then I told that to my dad. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's got to be in your house, on your land. If you're renting, it has to be in your house if you're outside of the house. <laughs> then it's not that you can't do it. He's telling me all these, because he's very smart, and he's telling me all these different things. I quit, well, what is it? You know. And then my mom looks over at me, and she goes, she says, well, she goes, well, yeah, if they're in your home, you can kill them back. And then she, she's like, well, what would you do? I said, I wouldn't do anything. I'd greet them with a box of cookies 
You're not supposed to. Yeah, that's a little naive. Well, I mean, not a box of cookies, but you're supposed to. I mean, that's just. Right. But you know, you know what I'm saying? And that's, when it happens in real life, there's terror, there's fear. In the interest of self preservation, you do what you got to do and you sort it out later. Now, do you have kids? Through my husband. Right. There is nothing that would come between a predator and our kids. Oh. And God is the same way. I mean, I don't care if the guy, you know, and that's going to be the case down south here. These two teenage kids, you brought this guy before, stole $10,000. He was waiting for him. He shot him, shot him in the head a couple times, thought he'd wait over Thanksgiving, then tell somebody about it a couple days later. That's where he's getting a little bit of... You know, if you would have just, you know, didn't all do all that crazy stuff. I mean, we have the right to defend ourselves. I mean, and that's what we do as a country. That's what we do as a, you know, a nation. Uh, yeah, it's got to be a certain inalienable right. Does that make any help yeah, at all? Or? Yeah, I mean, my and my dad said the same thing. And my parents looked at me and they go, okay, you're crazy. You're going to not fight back. And, you know, and then I had this huge argument with my mom. I did debate her debate with her about she's like you're not going to fight back i'm like well no that's not how god wants that's what changes the world is to fight back what keeps it in god's grace is to say okay that's the way it is better yet then i get to be with you you know that's the line to me what i believe in argument with you know this killing and army murder and things like that somebody coming to your home is like (laughs) Well, number one, you're coming into my home. That's a lot of balls right there. But number two, to to say, you know, oh, I wanna, I'm gonna fight you back. You know, it's just, it's not supposed to be that way. Well, I would, I'd first right? see how far <laughs> diplomacy gets you. I mean, and, and then, uh, I mean, that's just it. I mean. Because then that's, I'm making that step towards that change to not go against that person that wants to take my life. So I'm making and, and if that is your conviction, then that's then that's how you should live your life. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents thought I was crazy, and I looked at the bigger picture. I go, yeah, that's not right, because a lot of people are taught in revenge. Mm-hmm. You know, self-defense, whatever it is, you fight back. Mm-hmm. It's like, why are you so afraid to lose your life anyway? Mm-hmm. You need to go be with God. And I'm not so much concerned about losing my life. It's... I want to protect the ones that I love. To, to me, like. But if it was just me and another stranger, strange, like if, like that's what I was saying to my parents. You know, my mom's. I was trying to come across to them. You know, don't be so. For my point was, don't be so afraid that if somebody comes to take your life, you're going to go be with God. That's kind of what my point. Was. And and that and that will have to be each person's conviction. You know, it is not wrong to defend yourself against an attacker. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone comes and tries to harm one of my family members, I will protect them to, oh, yeah. to, to, the, to, to, the, to the greatest degree. If someone comes to my home and wants to rob me, they can take whatever they want. I'm not going to fight them over stuff. I'm not going to hurt them over stuff. If they come and they, and they threaten my life, then I will protect myself. And those, those are the decisions that I've made. And I believe that biblically, spiritually, ethically, I'm justified in that. I, I don't. I have. I have zero problem with that. Um, 
but I, you know, some people will say I'm not going to let them steal my stuff. Well, I, I'm not there. To me, I'm, I'm. You can have my stuff if you need it. If you if you need it that bad, you can have it. But um, each person has to live with their, you know, with their own conscience, and um, I believe that they are very much justified. I've had guys sit across my desk that are going into the army and asking these very questions. And, and I've, you know, I've been very forthright with them. I'm just, you know, here's the deal. You know, ethically, morally, biblically, theologically, you have a right to be, to do what the army, you know, if you're joining the army to do what the army tells you to do, if it, even if it means killing. The problem is, is that you will deal with that the rest of your life. You know, you can't take the life of another person without affecting you. It will affect you. But, but standing before God, it's not a sin. And if you intervened on your own behalf, or say, for example, say you had a gun and you were in Connecticut at that school, at what point would you say, I'm not going to give you my Girl Scout thin mints, I'm actually going to shoot you. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, in order to... If this person is hostile, or even if they're not, it's their propensity to just be who they are. There's very little you can do to sway that behavior with just one confrontation. I mean, you would have, you have to protect yourself, you know. It's, it's how we are. I mean, it's fight or flight. And if you can run away, that's great. I, they'll tell you at the conceal and carry classes, I mean, shoot to kill is probably the last resort. But if I mean, if you had the wherewithal, I mean, you think about it. I know, like, when if she's home with Gabriella, someone comes barging into her house. She knows how to shoot all the guns. She's not going to aim for a kneecap. She's going to aim for the biggest part of the body. And they'll start pulling the trigger just because she'll be in a panic about it. Whereas I might come out, I'll draw my bow, and I'll make sure I shoot him right between the eyes with it because I'm more calm. I've been in, you know, more calm situations. But I'm not going to be in panic mode. But you add all that together, it's like, oh my God, what do I do, Michael? And I'm like, take the safety officer, start shooting because it's a semi automatic. We got, you know, but uh, yeah. It's a crazy world. I mean, uh, hopefully we never have so to that, see that. That bugs me so bad. I just, I think about it and I'm just like, oh, could I, could I, you know, kill somebody one on one? A good friend of ours was murdered a week and a half ago. And that doesn't come up too often, but she was beat to death unrecognizably and then cut up. And I'm like, yeah, I just can't see not trying to intervene and stopping that. And that is, it is something that a person has to decide ahead of time. Yeah, you're not a bad person because you're having how you feel, not no. overall. I just tell you my perspective is I think that's awesome that you can do that. I cannot. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so the whole thing, my conclusion that I was coming to was I think, you know, just don't be so afraid that if you knew you know, you know you're gonna die and mm-hmm. you just get to go where you've got. And that, if that is your conviction, that's it's maybe it's supposed to be that way. I don't know. So that's why I don't. But at the same time, it's not a sin to defend yourself. It's and not a sin. 
No. To kill somebody? No. Not in, not in that. Not in that. Um, Self defense. Situation. Situation. It's an easy word, isn't it? Yeah. In that situation, it's not wrong to to defend yourself, even if it means killing the person. If they are. I teach self-defense. That's I do that on the side. I, I, I have a, became an instructor last year, or this this last summer. And what I tell people is this: when you defend yourself, we defend ourselves to the highest possible degree, as hard, as fast, as mean, as cruel, because we don't defend ourselves if they're trying to rob us. If they want to steal my watch, give them my, I'll give them my watch. If they want my billfold, take my billfold. If you want you want my house, take the house. I, I mean, I'm not going to fight you over stuff. But if they come and they begin to choke me, I will defend myself to the highest possible level as quick, as hard, as, as, as cruel as I possibly can because I'm, I'm justified. I can retaliate because if, with them choking me, that is deadly force. They're attacking me with deadly force. I can then retaliate with deadly force. That is legally, that is the, that is the law of the land by anybody's standard, including biblically. Um, would I try to kill them? Probably not. But I won't feel bad about doing a bunch of other stuff, which I won't talk about because it's... Not not that kind of class, <laughs> but Ron Reek, come in. But I mean, that's you know to do that. But I I've had to actually have that conversation with myself and come to a point where I, this is what I will do. And I because if you if you get to that point and, and not have the conversation, mm-hmm. then that isn't what you will do. You know. Um, because that's kind of that's one of my things that I'm that my relationship with God you sure. know, is one of those things that I'm kind of looking at him like. Hmm. And you keep seeking him on that, and he'll give you he'll give you peace one way or another. And if it's supposed to be the way you are, I, I I'm not going to argue with you, not in, not the least. I I went through the class for to for permit to carry. Oh, for the defense thing. Well, but I yeah. So I, I have a, a permit to carry license to carry a handgun, and for the four, first four years, I never carried a handgun because they're good for it's good for five years, and for four years, I never carried a handgun because of that very question: Would I actually pull the trigger? Because if I if if I don't know if I would actually pull the trigger, I'm not going to carry it on me because. It's more dangerous on me then than it is sitting in the shelf in my locked cabinet. Because if I have it on me and I'm not convinced that I would actually pull the trigger, then that pers- the person could take the gun away from me and harm other people. Mm-hmm. So why would I do that? So I didn't carry for four years for that for that exact reason. I took a self a long time ago. I did a self defense class, and that's why I said for the um, they injure the. I was taught back then I, that you're, if you want to injure them, I never did the gun thing, but that's mm-hmm. what they were talking about. Mm-hmm. If you're going to shoot somebody, you know, then you injure like their foot or their knee. It kind of throws them off, and then that's kind of your chance to get out or do whatever mm-hmm. you got to do. But that's the first thing you're supposed to do, not actually kill somebody. And then that's how it kind of all related for me. It was like, well, is that a sin to God or? Defending yourself is not a sin to God. And then you take it to the next level 
a police officer, or for you to defend somebody else that's that is in danger is not a sin. For a police officer to to protect with deadly force a citizen who is def- you know who's defenseless is not a sin. An army, because in in a war situation, it, there's always an aggressor, and that aggressor. I mean, every war we've ever been in, there's an aggressor. You know, whether it be Hitler or or Mussolini or you know any of the Stalin or whatever whoever we were fighting against, there's always been that aggressor. Well, we pro- we're protecting other innocent people from that aggressor. Even Iraq was the same deal. I'll keep thinking about it. Yeah. That's awesome. That's great. I'm I'm stubborn. That's good. That's good. It's good to think. I like people who think. That's that's people that don't think. That's the one you got to worry about. (laughs) Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for truth. Thank you for making us think. And Lord, help us to think biblically. Think godly. And as we do that, Lord, we thank you that you lead us and guide us into all truth. Thank you for it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.